DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Welcome to DJ Simulationistas. Sup? You're here with Janice Palaganis and... Dan Raymer. Sup, Janice Palaganis. I'm really excited because we have someone special with us today. I know. He's sitting right here. Am I special? Very special. And we're dying to um, talk about your presentation last night Mm -hmm. at the Boston Simulation Community Meeting. For sure. So today we have with us Alexandre Giesen, who goes by Sasha. He's an internist and uh, emergency medicine physician. He's also director of the Smile Scientific Collaborator and Project Manager. He's also health simulation instructor and associate program director for the University of Liège, Belgium, and a CMS, International Scholar, Sasha presented for us something called the Belgian Simulation Flavor. What he did in his session with us yesterday was to offer an insight into the analysis of feelings and thoughts from another simulation point of view. Welcome, Sasha. So, Sasha, I attended the session last night, and there were two speakers. The first Mm -hmm. speaker did a very glorious and relevant talk about his study of echocardiology for cardiology fellows Mm -hmm. and showed a great simulation outcome and brought up all sorts of fascinating issues regarding simulation. Then you got up and you started talking about wine. And in Mm -hmm. fact, before too long, wine got passed out and we sat there uh, uh, all drinking. Unfortunately, I had to leave early to go to a play, but I wanted to stay and drink more wine. Mm -hmm. But what I really wanted to hear was, how is this relevant to simulation? Or did you think that it was about stimulation and you got the word wrong? Both. (laughs) I thought, I, I did give Sasha feedback this morning, that he, it was a very Sasha presentation, which yeah. was this glorious experience, out-of-the-box experience, and you're completely confused as you're digging in. It's like hands-on, right? And you're going through it, and it's clear that he's having us go through steps of a conceptual theory, and then it just ends... And then you have to figure out what you were doing that whole time. And I and was... I thought that is so Sasha, because I went home and I spent like hours trying to figure out how it ties into debriefing. So you described it as an out-of-the-box experience? Or yeah. the out of box out of the box idea. It was an out-of-the-bottle experience. <laughs> <laughs> And so I'm going to hand it over to Sasha. What what did you have in mind? Well, it's about the different layers of interpretation of a message. The way we are making our communication and 
After all, simulation and debriefing is mostly about communication and language and trying to listen to what people are saying. And this is using a sense, the sense of hearing. And it's a very complex one. It's the main reason why humans are so developed. They are able to transmit things very clearly, very precisely using their language. But if you take a look at it more precisely, it's way more complex than that. Because I am phrasing words. As soon as I have done these words, the sound, the, the waves are getting to your ear. And there is some kind of move in your middle ear and a transmission to your brain. And in your brain, the message will be first reaching the primary areas of, of your brain. So you will recognize that it is not a sound, that it's, it's a language, it's depending on your culture. Then the associative area will help you figure out what the word is meaning. So you will construct an image of it and the emotional part of your brain are also get involved in it. When we are saying that the language is something that could be clear, it's impossible because there is all that process. So when we are making the process of listening somebody, we can make it with many ways, task-oriented, you give me an order, I will do the order. You can make the analysis of the language, or it can also be an analysis of the meaning of the words, not, always, not, not only how they are written, but the way they are mixed one another to make a message. So, and there is plenty of other, you can be critical about the message, you can be critical about my uh, accent, because I don't speak English very well, so you say, oh, there is that French accent, it's horrible. And you can also be amazed by the tone of my voice and considering the nice and calming and charming, if I'm using it to make a kind of meditation process, I want you to be relaxed and focused on. So it's mainly about the sound. And we have many other senses and many other species, animals or vegetals, do not use language. We feel that they don't use language because we can un understand their language. When a dog is speaking to another dog, we are not able to understand it. But many species are communicating with, with other senses. Back to the dogs, it will be the sense the aromas, the olfactive part of it. Uh, it can be also the touch. Uh, it can be also what you are hearing, the sound, so, or, or what you are seeing. So I, I dedicated this, this simulation exercise to a transfer of the way we are uh, using several tools to uh, analyze the listening process to the olfactive process. So we can take a substance, a liquid, but wine has the advantage of being pleasant and having a wide, wide, wide range of aromas. So it's, it's interesting in that way. And uh, just try to focus on the message. What's the message? The message of drinking is both drinking and smelling and tasting. But there is so, so much interconnection between the aromas and, and the the, the, the tasting process in your, with your mouth, with your throat, that it's very complex. So you can just make an analysis of drinking like it's just having something because I have, I'm thirsty 
and I'm dehydrated, I need something to get hydrated. Or try to make an analytical listening process through your sensation. So it's very difficult when you have many aromas to focus your mind on decomposing them. What's the dominant aroma and what else? Because we even don't necessarily find the vocabulary to this. By deconstructing aromas that are in the wine, it's just as if you were looking at the language or writing a text and trying to pick the very elements in it that has a meaning. Yeah. And then you, you will taste it, have it in your mouth, and it will give you some, some impressions. And these impressions may be completely variable. If you say something to me or, and to Dan at the same moment, it's very probable that we will perfectly not understand the same thing as soon as the words are in your mouth and you are pronouncing them. The impact on us is different. This is the similarity of it. So that's interesting because it, it differs from what I, when I thought about it, thought was the message you were sending. What you showed us was mm -hmm. that it's incredibly complex. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible for us to get the same meaning mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. from it. Uh, some people will like one wine and another person will not, and that's sort of, in the end, the outcome variable. And you didn't even touch all the other senses because the taste of wine probably depends very much on where you're drinking it, oh, with whom you're drinking it, uh, with people that you enjoy, with people that you don't know, with people who you don't like. Uh, mm -hmm. Those all things will all affect the wine. The power of your vision to take in all of that data mm -hmm. um, is yet another set of complex uh, signals uh, that are coming in. The feeling of touch, you talked about the feeling of touch on mm -hmm. your tongue, but the, but the glass and mm -hmm. how you hold it and the mm -hmm. temperature and Completely. the temperature outside and whether you're sitting in a beautiful vineyard, food, uh, all those things. Yeah. So in debriefing, you know, we throw a question out there, we get a response. Clearly, there are many variables that go into our interpretation of what that meaning mm -hmm. the person is transmitting to us is. But somehow we're able to, it seems, maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong about this, it seems like we're able to narrow it down to some common understanding. Yeah, but my intention was in the last part of the, the tasting was having that speaking about their experience, what it meant to them, what, what was the message, the image they had in their, in their mind. Probably it could be different, but not so much. And I was very much interested that these people, I don't know their, their level in tasting or stuff, stuff like that, but many of them were able to identify with rather good precision the, the primary aromas. Thank and you. It, and <laughs> if, we, if I take a look to the comments that were made, I was fairly impressed by, by the fact that may, most of the people were able to identify certain things, and sometimes very difficult things. So I thought that was the beauty of the exercise, whether or not it was intended, was to experience 
this amongst people in the environment that we were in. And that was actually what I really took away from it was the influence of the nonverbals and the, you know, using the other senses as well as just smelling. The emotional experience I was having, especially sitting next to Robert and the conversations we were having and how we influenced each other in, into what we thought about it. To me, that was what I took away from the experience and how it's relevant mm -hmm. to debriefing. For me, there's also the, the, that idea of implicit and explicit things. When I saw Robert drinking or tasting, because he didn't drink it, the three red wines, his feelings were different for each one. And at the moment, he said, oh, I like that one. The reason why he liked it, he didn't know. At that moment, he found that it was very pleasant. And then after, because he liked thinking, he has come back to every wine and uh, trying to have a more deeper analysis of what was the reason why he liked it. At that moment, I was not very surprised because I knew that he was able to do this. But that, that's the part of it. I think probably everybody is able to say, I like this wine or I don't like it. But the, the reason why you like it, frequently you don't know. You just, it appears to you that it, it's a pleasant experience. That's the same thing when we are making a debriefing. Sometimes this is a pleasant conversation, but there's no analysis under it. And so nothing happens. I mean, in, in the way we want to teach something, the conversation has been so gentle, so that nobody has taken some time having a reflection. What is the reason this uh, happened or not? So yeah, my idea wasn't to uh, present things too clear-cut, to make a PowerPoint presentation about tasting. It was much more the idea of involving the people, emerging them in that process, giving them some insights, some theoretical things, the, the sheet with the different aromas or the sheet with the different way to, to analyze it, and having them try to reflect on it after. It's a very uh, just artistic approach, and and I love that you took you had patience with us. Like you really took your time allowing kids. us to to experience it all, and then you know the point that you drove during the exercise was it is whatever you think it is, mm -hmm. and when we left. We all tried to interpret for ourselves individually. I, I would love to hear from Robert what the whole session was about. And it is what we thought it is. So it's, or what we're thinking it is. And so uh, that's, it's just very that's artistic. That's perfectly true. You can, you can never tell somebody who's taking a glass of wine. And I have a friend, it's always like that. If it's a red wine, he says, there's some violet in it. And whatever, sometimes, Nobody is able to recognize that smell, but he does. But it's not that you, you're right, we're wrong, because sometimes this, 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 what evokes violet for him is correlated with his way to identify the grape, or his way to recognize a wine. It doesn't matter. When I was in college, uh, my girlfriend took a course called Sensory Evaluation of Foods. Mm -hmm. She was a nutrition major. She had to take this course. And so the course basically was a hundred smells 
that were encapsulated. And all they had to do for the whole course, practically, was to be able to identify all 100 smells. And, uh, and she brought them home to practice or brought me to the lab, I forgot. Um, but I noticed I was really pretty horrible at it and I couldn't, um, couldn't do it. And it took her the whole semester to actually learn them to mm-hmm. become competent at them. Mm-hmm. But they weren't personal. There was a right and wrong answer. And the professor was one of the world's experts on um, milk smells. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, his, his consulting business was he would get a call from a dairy mm-hmm. and he would get in his car and rush there like in an ambulance and he would go and smell the milk and he would say, the cows have too much bag balm on them. <laughs> And it has spoiled the milk. And, uh, you know, and so he was the world's greatest uh, uh, milk smeller. And so, you know, you know, that was a long time ago. That was when, you know, there were horse and buggies, actually. Uh, But it was a long time ago. And so it always gave me the prejudice that being able to distinguish smells was uh, both a, a talent like being able to read music or, mm-hmm. or hear music, it is, in a way. Uh, 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 but it was also a learned behavior that you really had to work at it to learn it. Like my girlfriend did, she had to go keep testing herself and keep smelling before she could identify the hundred smells. So I want to again go to debriefing. Mm-hmm. And is debriefing, you know, a talent or? Is it something that you need to practice interpreting what people are saying to you and the message they're transmitting? It seems, if the analogy you're making is is valuable, it seems like you have to have a recipe for getting better at it. In my opinion, it's not so uh, black or white. Of course, there are persons that are, have talented, for example, for the, the smell, you have a few people in the world who are able to construct very complex perfume and they are called a nose. He is a nose, he's working for Chanel or stuff like that. These people are able to recognize thousands of smells. So they were at the beginning interested by it. You should have interest in it, be curious and probably talented. But we all have a nose and some people are not interested at all in that type of analysis. This is something that could and should and is probably perfectly uh, teachable. You can practice it, you can be trained in this. And I think that it's my opinion as a teacher. The best teachers are, are not those who are making the best out of the best. Uh, for me, the best teacher is the one who is able with a, a huge classroom, he has 30 students, reaching the best level for all of them. Okay. So reaching the, the weakest one can reach a, a certain level. It's an interesting topic, Janice. I know that you are a talented musician. I've heard you play the piano beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I know that in an earlier 
part of your career you played piano and uh in dingy bars and things <laughs> like that cool. casinos right casino lobby uh, i did i used ballroom dresses yeah the, the attire is ballroom dresses oh, like I, formal oh gowns. i've understood so Janice, so you sat there in your ballroom dress yeah. playing the piano in the casino for uh, all the patrons, including Robin Williams, you told me, uh, who loved your <laughs> piano playing. So, so um, I uh, took piano lessons and I had to stop because I was told that I would never get it. Didn't know this about you. Yes, yes. I took guitar lessons and they told me that playing the guitar could be dangerous for other people's <laughs> health. <laughs> I uh, have tried to sing and there are rules with anyone I've lived with about not singing ever. Um, so, so I always thought, you know, music was a talent and mm -hmm. that, uh, that given that talent, that it, that it was learnable, but only some people have it, only a few people have it. Do you think that's true of debriefing? I think people have a predisposition to be able to engage in conversation. I don't, and I don't mean genetically, I mean maybe they've been socialized to be able to facilitate difficult conversations or just conversations that could engage the entire group. And so I think there is a little bit of that talent that they might have going in. And even with talent, I still think practice is important. I, I think, you know, the right combination of practice and predisposition would make someone naturally really great at it. I think the part that's hard to be learned are the nonverbals. I mean, so many times I feel like we've had learners go through the course and they're saying the right things but something's leaking out of them that's not, or it sounds very robotic and just not meaningful and or sincere. And I think the authenticity that people have is something that can't be learned. It's something that has to come deeper within. Uh, do, you think it, do you think it has to be learned or just like in the wine tasting, it's something that you have to uh, kind of kind of point people to and get them to focus on it. What I enjoyed about your exercise was you introduced us to the mystery of drinking wine and aromas and scent. Tasting and wine. Tasting. Because it's a, something different. Sure. Tasting wine is a process of analysis. It doesn't mean at all that this bottle will be great at the table with meals. And often uh, wines who appears spectacular reveals themselves as bad companions uh -huh. at the table because they are too powerful, to they lack the uh, the sophistication or some kind of being fine, and frequently also perfect wine, and the the cooking doesn't match with it. It's like yeah, debriefing and co-debriefing. Sometimes it doesn't yeah. match. What I appreciated was that you instilled in us in one session the mystery mm -hmm. wine tasting. I think in our course with our learners, for them to appreciate the mystery frames mm -hmm. and debriefing. I think anybody interested in our taking one of our instructor courses would be interested in this. 
I think we're going to have wine with each of our modules. I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I enjoy what you are saying about the fact that for, for debriefer, for me, it's very difficult unveiling frames. Try to find among all these frames what's important or not. So as a learner or an mm. attendee of your session, it was a great experience for me trying to put myself into the debriefee seat. And I noticed how I would throw out what I thought my perspective was, and I was so eager to hear my instructor, my instructor tell me if I was right or wrong. Yeah, that frustration of having the right, have I done this well? Right. Does Our, this have grapefruit in yeah. it or not? Give me my grape. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The other thing was the influence of other perspectives as uh -huh. they were revealed. Oh yeah, vanilla is in here. Or, you know, I would change my perspective a little bit, and Robert would say the same thing that I was I was dirtying his perspective because it, it, I was giving him. And then I just started playing around, like, oh, there's a lemon in here, even though I didn't smell lemon, just to see what yeah. he would do, and just the influence of the daily fees on each other. During simulation last day with the OB scenarios, the guy was uh, hearing breath sounds. In his mind, there were no breath sounds there. So he said, no breath sounds. He said it aloud, and the surgeon participant came, did the same thing, and said the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you're right. So we are social, uh -huh. and we don't want to get out of the group, except if you have some kind of particular mind. You're done raver. Everybody says, it is, there's no breath sounds. He hears it, oh yeah, I can hear it. The extrapolation to this in simulation or in scenario is the problem of the, uh, the group influence in teamwork. When somebody is getting wrong, and he, if he is somebody important, who has the power to say no? No, no I don't agree. No, I don't get it. Speaking up at that moment is very difficult. Absolutely. We see that over and over mm -hmm. and over again in, in simulation. Well, thank you so much, Sasha, for a pleasure, joining Janice. us. No. and reflecting on your session and, and I feel like I got my instructor's perspective and and I, I, I now see that I was on the right page so thank you DJ Simulationistas Sup is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time